Good morning. Um, thank you to all of us for joining us here for this 8.30 a.m. panel on the future of road funding. My name is Erica Greeter. I'm a senior editor at Texas Monthly. I'm sorry to look at the phone, but I've got some, some script notes to read to you, some housekeeping. Um, on behalf of the Texas Tribune, I am very happy to welcome you to the fourth annual Texas Tribune Festival and to this panel, which is What's Next for Road Funding. This building we're in, Welch Hall, um, is hosting several of the tracks this year. You've seen the schedule online and in the programs, but this room will be the room dedicated to transportation-related uh, panels for most of the day. Um, next up is uh, planning for the future. We have some high-speed rail <coughs> programs. Uh, so if you'd like to stay in this room, that's what we'll be doing here. And there's hashtags. Tribune Fest is the hashtag for the festival itself, and they're asking for hashtag TTFTranspo for any particular TTF transpo related related insights. Um, the panelists we have with us today are a great group, a couple of familiar faces for those of you who were here last year. To my left, uh, Senator Robert Nichols, who is the uh, senator from Jacksonville and chair of the Senate Transportation Committee. To his left, uh, General Joe Weber, who has been the executive director at TxDOT for about five months, General. Yes. Welcome. Thank you for your Thank service. You. Thank you for having me. Uh, to his left, Representative Joe Pickett, the representative from El Paso, and the chairman of the Select Committee on Transportation Funding, Expenditures, and Financing. To his left, Representative Ron Simmons, state representative from Carrollton. No, no. To his left, uh, Senator Tom, sorry, Vice Chancellor of Texas A&M, Tommy Williams, former senator, uh, chair of Senate Finance last session. So. Thank you all for joining us, um, and thank you for being here on this, this early morning call. So I thought we could start. The topic at hand is the future of road funding. Um, General Weber, since you've been at TxDOT, I thought maybe you could sort of give us the picture of the present state of road funding. We've been hearing the figure, I think, cited a lot, that TxDOT has said that they're about $5 billion short of what they need annually to maintain current congestion levels. But could you sort of explain what that figure means? And Yes, that, that is the number that's, that's out there, and uh, where did it come from? Well, I think it came from uh, the Texas A&M Transportation Institute, did some research. There were several committees of stakeholders that came up and did some research, and that's the number that evolved in um, basically a 3-1-1 split, $3 billion for mobility, a billion for maintenance, and a billion for the energy sector roads, and uh, so that's how that evolved. Uh, there's people sitting up here with me that uh, know much more about uh, mobility funding and transportation funding than I do, and, uh, and I do want to say that their support is for transportation in this state by giving us the tools we've needed to, in the past to build the best transportation system in the country we're very much aware of, and I, I don't envy their jobs. Uh, we, what we have to do at TxDOT is to make sure we give them great accurate requirements of what of what is needed in the state because uh, the job of going and finding that permanent and consistent source of funding is it's going to be quite challenging but tech stocks going to support them that's great and then maybe to open it up to everybody um <clears throat> i i'd heard that five billion figures that's what we're saying to maintain current congestion levels um, but current in this case means 2010 congestion levels so for those of us who are here in austin that sounds like the good old days um, of congestion levels. Is, is the $5 billion figure still sort of the target? Is that about what you'd all say is where we should be finding $5 billion more annually? Who are you asking? Anybody. Anybody who wants to. <clears throat> uh, at the beginning of last session, at the beginning of the session, the number was $4 billion, And that was arrived at by several different means. There was a blue ribbon 
committee that was put together of citizens to go through all the math and studies, and they arrived at $4 billion. Uh, TxDOT, I know, did calculations. They came up at $4 billion. And then during last session, uh, the energy sector road issue really flared up. And TTI did a quick calculation and said that would cost about a billion dollars. So four plus one is five. I have never really seen all the assumptions and the calculations of how that was going to be spent in the energy sector. But I think we're all in agreement. It's at least four, and it's going to take something else to fix the energy sector. And the assumption of no worse congestion, in other words, keeping it, is not a very good target. <clears throat> but it's a target we have not been able to achieve in several decades. And so it's a goal that we've set to try to get there. And then once we get to that point, then uh, we'll start working on the next step. One thing I noticed was that we had this, this panel last year. It was the same panel, but instead of being called um, the future of road funding, like today, it was called the fight over road funding. So I think that suggests a certain amount of change. And maybe the three of you who were uh, working on this so much last session could kind of speak to what those fights were like, um, what the what the opposition was about, um, and maybe what has changed, if anything, that that we're now talking about the future, not the fight. Well, I think there's two things that come to mind. Say, fight over transportation funding, uh, a fight as to finding common ground as revenue to put into it, or the revenue that we do have, a fight of how we distribute it. And I think last session was the fight about how to fund it. There were several initiatives brought forward early. There was talk about uh, increasing registration fees. A bill made it as far as to the House floor for a vote. After all the heated discussion, the uh, author of the bill pulled it down because of the threat of veto. Um, there's been discussions about borrowing more money. Uh, many of us feel that that's not the way that we want to go. Uh, the proposal that's up that you're gonna, obviously going to mention about uh, November uh, 4th proposition is something that Senator Nichols and others noticed off to the side. It wasn't something that uh, a year and a half ago was being talked about because it's kind of an automatic process this money that flows into the rainy day fund from oil and gas severance tax. And the appropriators, uh, I, well, I want to say Senator also, now that he's Chancellor, I'll probably get an audience with him. Um, <laughs> I can never get to him when he's a Senator. When he was chairing Senate Finance, it's something that his committee saw over here but didn't have the ability to try to work into their appropriations process. So the discussions completely moved to something that wasn't on anybody's radar screen. And this funding source had been increasing on its own over the last decade and a half. <clears throat> so I think the, the fight was settled. The fight was settled with the House and the Senate deciding that this was the lowest hanging fruit possible that doesn't mean a tax increase, doesn't mean a registration fee increase, so we're going with this, but we're hoping for um, momentum going into next session to take the next step that Chairman Nichols talked about. The next step's going to be a harder one. Um, and, and with this proposal, it's Prop 1 ballot. I mean, <clears throat> Senator Nichols, how is, are, are you working right now to sort of spread that message, or how is that campaign going among? There's a lot of people out 
educating the public about Prop 1. Uh, there are different business groups that understand the need for transportation that have put their resources together for advertising uh, on radio, billboards, uh, TV, and all of the billboards are starting to go up right now. Radio should come out shortly. Business groups are contacting their employees and will be. Uh, associations uh, like the Realtors and the Farm Bureau are uh, putting things in their mail-outs to their association members. Uh, counties are passing resolutions. Cities and chambers are passing resolutions. Uh, I know Joe Pickett and I are, have been traveling as a team uh, to go to all of the uh, major newspapers. I think we're scheduled for 38 editorial boards. And we're about a third away through that, I think. Uh, and so that's the, the outreach. One, one thing I've heard mentioned as a concern about it is that I think the figures were that we'd project about $1.3 coming into road funding from that measure. Um, and so I've heard the, the concern raised, is that enough? And if it's not enough, I mean, it's not enough, given what we've said already, um, if that's not enough, does it risk the sense among people of the state that we've already done that. We tackled road funding. We voted on that a few months ago. Why are we doing it again? Does that make it harder to come back to session? And During the session, that was one of the arguments against voting for Prop 1, that it does not solve the whole problem. It only solves part of the problem. Uh, I think we've finally got more than two-thirds of the members to agree that solving part of the problem makes the problem smaller, so this is a good thing. And we have been very careful to point out to all the uh, newspapers in this advertising campaign that it does not solve the whole problem, but it's a big step forward. But you know what? The bill that I mentioned that talked about raising the registration fee, had that bill gone through, it would not have raised as much money as this proposal does, mm -hmm. and that would have hurt the most first and may have been difficult to take the second step. If it was raised $50, it would raise about a billion dollars a year. This proposal raises, under the latest estimates, $1.7 billion a year, and as I said, no tax increase, no registration fee increase. So that gives us the impetus to go for the next one, unless... Um, new revenue is identified, and I believe it needs to be new revenue. It's going to be hard to um, scrub the budget, and I think Vice Chancellor should jump in here about um, the comments that people make about just cutting the fat in the budget to come up with more money. I don't know that that's possible. I would welcome that. Senator Williams, Chancellor Williams, tell us about well, the budget. <laughs> the, the challenge that you have is um, you've uh, got from a general revenue standpoint, about 86% of the budget is already committed to health and human services and education. And so those two things, which are largely viewed as entitlement-type programs, the way they're funded, uh, it, it makes it hard. So you've got the whole rest of the budget that you have to write with four, about 14% of the incoming revenue left over. Now, you, you, there's really two problems here. One is how do you solve some... Uh, things like the energy sector roads, which there's a maintenance issue there, but the repair part hopefully would be a one-time thing if you could get your maintenance funding up. So you really need a new revenue stream for maintenance funding to make sure that you're properly maintaining. And then how do you expand capacity? And 
uh, it would help to have a steady stream of funding on that, but you could also do some one-time funding on projects by using money in the rainy day fund. And you have a lot of money that's being trapped in there that uh, nobody ever anticipated you'd have that kind of money in the rainy day fund. And the state's facing huge infrastructure needs in transportation, higher education, and water. And uh, you know, you've got money that's sitting there earning around 1% or less, and you're financing these projects at about 35 or 4%. It seems to me it would make good sense to pay cash and take some of that money. That would be the conservative thing to do. Uh, because when the money begins, begins to overflow out of the rainy day fund, you're going to lose 86% of that to those same programs uh, that are essentially entitlement programs. So if the legislature wants to act in a conservative fashion, I think taking money out of the rainy day fund and picking uh, projects that need to get done, that's a great way to do it, and you avoid the debt financing costs that you'd uh, have to pay. So. Well, let me ask Representative Simmons to jump in here. I, um, I, is, it, is it fair for me to sort of ask you to speak for this young group of conservatives slash Tea Party type Republicans? Um, I've, I've had the impression in reporting on the elections that I'm, I'm hearing this, this cohort, um, and I know it's not that rigid, um, but I'm hearing this cohort talk about they want to do transportation, they want to focus on that, they want to find a way to find more revenue for that, but in, is that, does that mean they're saying find more revenue, allocate more from our existing revenue streams, or are they talking about new revenue streams in the way that Representative Pickett? Right. Well, I, first of all, thanks for having me. Of course, thank glad, you. Glad to be here. Uh, you know, I think that what you have to understand, and what we have to understand, is that the priorities of government are infrastructure and education. And so those have to, have to also be our financing priorities. And if we are going to continue what's called the Texas miracle, then our infrastructure has to be miraculous. We have to have the top infrastructure, and that does require an investment. One of the great things about transportation is that it's a bipartisan issue. There's no question, when you're driving down the roads, I don't see blue and red cars. You know, there we're all people trying to get through Temple, Texas yesterday, right? And so um, I believe that regardless of your party affiliation or your or your stance within that party, that we are willing to do what is necessary to fund transportation. The rainy day fund to conservatives is somewhat sacrosanct maybe inappropriately so in some methods. That's why as a part of the bill that Senator Nichols and uh, Chairman Pickett passed last year, we have a review that's required of the uses of the rainy day fund because as uh, Vice Chancellor Williams said, is that that was done 20 something years ago. And the purpose is then, maybe they still are intact today, but we need to decide what they are. Because sometimes, like I believe in what we did with the water, was the exact conservative thing to do. So I believe that we're open. I don't believe uh, that uh, we, most of us are probably not open to tax increases. But I do believe that we are open to finding the revenue sources, whether that be <clears throat> proper utilization of the rainy day fund or whether that be uh, continuing to prioritize transportation above possibly some other things, uh, then that's exactly what we're going to do. This, in my opinion, 
uh, this will be the year that we uh, can, can really make the difference in a long-term transportation funding program. You know, Erica, I agree with everything you said, and here is the challenge that I would throw down for the group that you described. If you care about infrastructure and you care about transportation, what you have to do is work on health and human services. And no one wants to tackle that issue. That is the fastest growing part of the budget for the entire 17 years that I served in the Texas legislature. It consumes all of the available new revenue. And so if people want to reprioritize, then they have to roll their sleeves up and get involved in some things that uh, conservatives traditionally have not been involved in and that's finding out how do you serve people who can't help themselves but do it at a cost that the taxpayers can afford. And if we don't tackle that issue, we will be facing uh, a real budget crisis because there won't be anything left in the budget besides health and human services if it continues to grow at the rate that it is now. So just saying no is not public policy, you have to be willing to roll your sleeves up and uh, work on those tough issues. But, and that, that's the crux of the matter from and, a budget perspective. And I, I, and I want to challenge uh, some of the conservatives as well. I'm a Democrat from El Paso, Texas, so that makes me a leading left liberal. Um, but I keep bringing up the debt, and we still have some what I consider low-hanging fruit. We go around the state, we talk about we have three sources of borrowed money, two of which are at their capacity. But we have a third source that we're still issuing debt from. I want to stop it. If we just stopped issuing debt out of that third source, that's $100 million a year. Now, $100 million a year may not be to a, a lot of money to a lot of people, but it, to me it is, and it's still a beginning. On the House side, I don't know what the Senate's going to think about this, the speaker is committed to reducing the amount of money that comes out of Fund 6 for other than highway. And we call that diversions like it's a bad thing, it's illegal and ethical. It's not. But it's been reduced over the years. So the House is talking about, in our appropriations process, another $600 million a year. If we stopped issuing debt out of the mobility fund, that's $100 million a year. That's $700 million added to $1.7 if the amendment passes. That's $2.4 billion a year. You're halfway to this $5 billion number. So I still think there are some conservative things that we need to do. And at some point, it may hurt. <coughs> Representative Simmons, uh, even as a freshman, is extremely involved. And I talk to him almost on a daily basis. And Senator Nichols and I had, I think, one of the biggest sticking points between the House and Senate version was this floor mm. in the rainy day fund and the fact that we will now be talking about it every two years instead of just every 20 is going to be a big deal. That's, that's a positive. Mm. Senator Nichols, does that, so amendment passes maybe the ending of debt instruments um, and the ending of diversions or the reduction of diversions, that gets to about $2.4 billion. Would you add anything else to that mix? You've well, if we can get those things done, uh, that would be a big help. Uh, 
Vice Chancellor Williams. It's going to take me a while to get that. You can just say Tommy. <laughs> Tommy uh, is absolutely right on the health and human services. While we struggle on the budget, 50 million here, 100 million there, uh, it grows billions automatically by automatic formula. And unless you're willing to, and I've, I've been on health and human services, and it is very difficult to go in there and make meaningful changes on those formulas because so many of them are set at the federal level. And you have to make the hard decisions. Uh, do you want to accept Medicaid or not? Mm. We are not required to do that in the state of Texas. But we have had so many people on those programs, uh, there's an addiction. Mm. And so that's where the biggest, uh, he's exactly right. Uh, in our hearing, uh, I'm, I'm chairing the Select Committee on Transportation Funding in the Senate. And so <coughs> they've been, we've been watching all uh, Chairman Pickett's meetings and looking at their stuff, but one of the things that we ran across uh, recently, and it's been there for a good while, is in the 90s, a number of different programs were created for help clean up the air in non-attainment areas. And there's different accounts and different little fees that accumulate toward that go. And in the past several years, we have not been spending that money for that intended purpose. And there's an accumulation of an account of approximately 1.1 billion sitting idle. I know we use it to offset and help balance the budget, but we either need to quit collecting those fees or we need to establish and change uh, our uses so that we can and give the uh, non-attainment planning areas the ability to spend it in a way that accomplishes the ultimate goal. But that's I think you could help transportation in the congestion area and the big urbans uh, by just tackling that one issue. And that revenue streams at about $100 million, $150 million a year, <clears throat> but there's an accumulated $1.1 billion. May not can do it all in one two-year uh, budget cycle, but that's something that we're talking seriously about. And General Over, you Well, I, I think it's all about the economy. And uh, I will tell you, we're we're in a great we're on a great run in the state of Texas right now. But if there's one thing I believe will put an obstacle or put the brakes on that economy pretty quick is our transportation system taking a fall. And so, transportation is more than the movement of people. It's the movement uh, distribution of goods and services and, and commerce. And when all those things are going safe and in a reliable manner, the economy's good. And if the economy's good. Quality life state for life's Texans are good, and that's ultimately what it's all about. Because trying to find these funding solutions now, it's not about us; it's about our children and our grandchildren, and what this state's going to look like 30 or 40 years from now. And we have to be ready for that. And I think that you know, you, we can obviously education is important to everybody. We're in one of the great educational institutions in the world, but we can educate all the people at the top level. And if we don't have mobility mechanisms, way that they can move around in Texas, drive the roads and all that, they're just going to get their education here and go someplace else. So it, we, we ha this, is, this is not a wish. This is a have to. We, just like we have to solve the water problem, we have to solve transportation. And we can't solve it in piecemeal. We have to have a 20, 30, 40-year plan, not of only what we're going to build, but how we're going to pay for it. And we have the momentum now. Now's the time to get that done. There'll never be an easier time to do it than right now. And let me, sorry, General. Well, there's, and there's a challenge to that, too, because 
in my background, I've done a lot of strategic planning and long-term planning, and that's certainly what we have to do. But in the state of Texas right now, we find ourselves in an environment where things are changing so quickly. Growth of our population, our economy, our energy sector on a daily basis. And so in our planning and in our processes, we have to have the flexibility and the ability to kind of adjust on the run and move that as that target moves, we need to be able to go and focus and prioritize, as Senator Williams said, and in looking at those big projects that we need as things pop up. So the process has got to include that flexibility, although the long-term planning is needs to be done as well. So. I wanted to come back to this topic of, of education. Um, as Chancellor Williams had said, 86% of the GR budget is going to health and human services, that education's a huge part, and that seems like the the issue that nobody wants to to cut for several reasons. I mean, as Representative Simmons said, it can be considered part of infrastructure. Democrats, of course, have been trying to restore funding to it for several sessions, um, and then you have lawsuits pending with certain uncertainty effects. So, if we're looking at if 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 the idea is that there has to be some. Uh, Rethinking of health and human services spending. Um, are there any other areas you would point to um, that would be areas where you think those efficiencies could be found? You ask me. Anybody who has a thought on this? And uh, and specifically, are you asking about in education? I mean, I want to be sure I'm directly. I think, I think outside of education. I mean, well, I guess maybe a question too would be for and for Representative Pickett also. Is education? I, I will think, that be? I think education will be a sacred cow. I'm not sure that it's, uh, um, we all sing kumbaya about education from both sides of the aisle, but I, I, I think that the amount of money that we put into education every year, and Tommy, it's somewhere around $34 billion a year, something like that. <clears throat> TxDOT's budget right now is about $10 billion a year. So I don't see the necessity to try to rob public education to fix something that's a, a, a smaller number. A hundred million dollars, a billion dollars, that's a lot of money for transportation. For public education, it, it doesn't solve it that much. And there are some good things happening too. This amendment that the chairman and I are going around the state promoting, the numbers keep going up. And what people don't realize is there is a percentage off the top of this oil and gas severance tax that's feeding education. It's going up, too. And, Senator, what's the number? You and I were talking the other day about one, there's about $1 billion increase about in public a 1. education 1 billion for, extra for that, that was not as well. Connected. But I'm going to use education just for a second and switch a little bit to internal education. Mm -hmm. What's been good about the last four to six years and even proposals last session, gas tax. I mentioned that. People go, oh, there he goes. He's proposing raising the gas tax. Not necessarily. But what I want people to understand is do you believe me when I tell you it hasn't risen since 1991? Go look it up. It hasn't. 23 years. There isn't anybody that I talk to, whether it's a chamber of commerce or personal, that hasn't increased the cost of whatever the widgets they are they sell, the services they offer. So I'm just getting, wanting people to realize, okay, you can't vote for a gas tax increase. I understand that. But do you understand we haven't raised it in 23 years, so what do you think we're doing with money that's 23 years old in today's market? So getting people to realize that there is a problem has probably been the biggest issue to date. That's where we're at. General Weber, does that, I mean, has that been your experience, too? I mean, you've been at Textile about five months, and 
So coming onto the job and and starting to tell your friends and neighbors that this is your new job, have you heard people say, do you think the public is aware of that kind of issue? Are they aware of the funding gap for TxDOT or... Well, I think they are, but I agree with the chairman. I mean, it's it, it's surprising to me that, that people go out and buy a new car, and it's, you know, the last time they bought a car was six years ago. They buy a new one, and it costs more. It's a better car. It's got more capability, better services, and never complain too much about that, you know. And so, again, the rationale people use to, you know, a, a, a fee or a tax that's as old as these are, uh, it's kind of amazing that uh, we continue to want more services, better services, more infrastructure, better infrastructure, safer infrastructure, but we don't want to pay anymore, or or we want to find a new source of funding for that. So, it it is out there, and I'm not I'm kind of amazed that that type of thinking is is out there because it's not realistic. But uh, somehow we've got to find, balance it and find a, a way to solve the problem that makes both sides happy. So. <clears throat> I think General Weber brings up a good point about buying the new car, and I just had to buy two. What I'm amazed at is the technology uh, in the new cars, and uh, Techside has talked a long time about the use of technology in solving uh, our transportation problems, and I'll tell you truthfully, I've been a reluctant convert to that, uh, but I, I do think closer together, you could, you'd have uh, a lot more capacity on the road. And so that would be one thing that technology could do is allow vehicles to travel closer together. So Probably the greatest opportunity for picking up additional capacity has to do with user demand times. Mm -hmm. If we could change the driving habits of our businesses, because we all want to go to work at the same time and we want to get off of work at the same time. Classes at the UT start about the same time at the end of the day. And so you've got, when you're looking at a 24-hour period and you're looking at the capacity, we have plenty of capacity, but not at these peak driving times. Uh, if we can change people's habits and we can spread that out a little more, uh, I think there's great opportunities for that. Uh, we've been playing for the past year or two uh, State Highway 130, mm-hmm. tow road uh, east of town running parallel to 35, can we change the truckers' habits, getting the trucks off of 35 and moving them to 130? So TxDOT began uh, lowering the tow rates for trucks to get them to down to the same level as an automobile, and a substantial number of trucks have moved off of 35 over to 130. That's a, an area, if it would cost billions and billions uh, to widen 35 plus tear down all the infrastructure that's out there and doing it and disrupt traffic. So changing a pattern uh, is the same as adding capacity. Is there, do you see much more 
uh, much more room to further change those habits? I mean, there's still plenty of trucks on. There's a lot of re reluctance to change in people's habits. That's why they're habits. But uh, I just said there's an, that's where there's an opportunity there. That's difficult to organize. You know, you hear a lot of businesses going to a four-day work week or allowing um, one day at home. Uh, maybe you should do a three-day work week like the legislature uh, <laughs> or two-day two work week in some cases. Uh, it, the D.C. legislature. Yeah, it's, it, it's difficult to, to organize some of those things, but all of us in this room know when UT is out. We know when it's spring break because you can go down Mopac relatively easily. You know when it's summertime. So that is one big thing that can be organized. Some of the businesses that the senator is talking about that are actually promoting this <coughs> amendment to their employees have done some of the same, same things about trying to stagger their time. If we can get to employers that do have 500, 600, 700 employees and get them to start staggering them, they started doing that in El Paso along the lines of general here. We went to Fort Bliss to see if we could get them to start staggering mm -hmm. their times because there's some roadways there that back up tremendously for about two hours. And so we're working on that, and that actually benefits everybody, even those that aren't using Fort Bliss. So there, there, there are some, and, and we, we are hesitant to talk about them because we're pressured a lot of time by the chambers of commerce who want ribbon cuttings on new bridges, new overpasses, new expanded lanes, and yet every time we cut a ribbon and open something new, we just added a cost for the next 30 or 40 years that people don't want to see. That's behind the curtains. And that's where the most of our money goes now anyway, is behind the curtain. Since I'm not going to have to vote on this next session, <laughs> uh, I'd like to mention along those lines is uh, I think uh, Denver has done this, and they've, uh, they keep uh, heavy uh, truck traffic out of their central core area of the city during rush hour. Uh, now, you, you, it's harder to get people to voluntarily change when they go to work, but you're also you say, okay, you, if you're going to do it between 7 and 9 o'clock, you have to take I-30. You can't come down. Uh, that's going to take federal and state changes to law to make that sort of thing happen. But those are some things that you could do to add capacity. And my hat's off to Techstop for what they're doing now because they're trying to give the economic incentive uh, for people to make those choices. And, and Erica, I think that we have to um, nothing negative towards my chairman friend, but we have to realize. <laughs> I hope so. We have to realize that the population of the state of Texas is likely, for our foreseeable future, to exist between the Metro Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex, San Antonio, uh, Houston. That's where sixty to seventy percent of the people live, kind of in that corridor. That will change some over time, but it will not change drastically. And so we have to be willing, when we're in the legislature, we have to be willing to, to put the needs of the state sometimes ahead of the needs of our particular area. And sometimes people don't like to hear that, vote your district, and I understand all that. But we are state legislatures. We're not, I'm not a Denton legislature, okay? He's not an El Paso legislature. That's where we're from. But... And one of the things I appreciate about Chairman Pickett is we do look at that, but we, we have to be willing to do that. We have to, we have to be able to break down that divide and realize where the capacity is needed and make the investment there. 
And, and I'd just like to add, I think it's more than just changing habits. <clears throat> For the transportation system of the future in Texas, it's going to be a change of culture. How we think about transportation. Uh, and I think we have a window of opportunity to make those right decisions. Uh, I spent six and a half years in higher education and talked to many of our young men and women going through a major university. And unlike us, when we were 13 or 14 or 15, the first thing we wanted to do was get our driver's license. And then we wanted a car. And it is absolutely amazing to me that that's not on the mind of a lot of our young men and women today. They have this. They want some transportation. They may not want to own a car and the insurance and the costs and other things that come with that. But they're thinking about those kind of things. And we need to be looking at that in our technology and in the future because this culture will change. And how we get around, it won't just be the same as it's been in the past. So we need to be ready for that. Um, I'll, we'll do a couple more questions here, but I wanted to say that we'll start doing audience Q&A in a few minutes. So if you have questions, you'll have a chance to ask them at either of these mics um, in about two or, two or three minutes. Um, uh, Representative Pickett, could you? I'm interested in this this talk you had at Fort Bliss, or these kinds of talks you'd have about changing habits, changing culture. Um, how did that go? Did you go and say, "Hey, why don't it would be good for all of us if we could stagger some commuting throughout El Paso"? Because yes, in our case, the reason why it's good for everybody is, you know, Fort Bliss is uh, is phenomenal in its size. People just don't realize how big it is and how important it is to our overall defense system. And we were fortunate in El Paso over the last several years for the Department of Defense to spend over $5 billion on infrastructure. But we were told they would not have spent the $5 billion unless we had done two things. One was a desalinization plant. And yes, I'm from the desert, and we have the largest inland desalinization plant in North America. Two, and even more importantly, was infrastructure. We committed to building what we call Spur 601 that connects new Fort Bliss with old Fort Bliss and more importantly connects both of those to the entire community. It would have been almost landlocked had we not done that infrastructure. Fort Bliss can't handle all of the on-base housing. Fort Bliss can't handle the fact that so many of the jobs are done by contractors who are not military, they're civilian. So they need people to access the base on a constant level. And infrastructure was number one. So to answer your question succinctly, absolutely, it's a partnership. It was important and still is. And we're increasing those opportunities now with them. And speaking of partnerships, one thing I wanted to get to is, Senator Nichols, you were in D.C. recently talking to the Texas congressional delegation about the federal side of this, which... We haven't really touched on yet. Um, how did those talks go? I mean, what were you? Uh, just for the audience' sake, three fundamental funding sources for TxDOT are the state and federal fuel tax, and then the state vehicle registration fee. On the federal side, which is about one third of TxDOT's budget, uh, it used to be about a six-year formula, where the federal government would lay out a formula, they give the state. Uh, the ability to plan projects, and then TxDOT could look out numerous years and lay out a program, do environmentals, and, and put projects together. They, they have now shortened the six years to four years, and they can't agree on the four-year formula, how to fund it. 
So they kicked the can four months and six months at a time. I knew that the vote was coming back up, and so I went to D.C. to try to educate our Texas delegation. I first met with the House members, R's and D's. Uh, a lot of the Congress people showed up themselves. If they didn't, couldn't be there, they sent their transportation people. I tried to tell them how important th having a predictable uh, revenue was even more important than the amount. What happened was the original concept of the Federal Highway Trust was to take the federal fuel tax, put it into a fund, and then reimburse the states out of that fund based on some formula. And it worked pretty well for a long time, but then they realized, hey, we have not changed the federal fuel tax in 20-something years. So that number began going down or flattening out. So they artificially adjusted for inflation. And they came up with extra money that was not predictable, and that got them into trouble. So now the, the true highway trust fund is uh, some, it's not totally bankrupt, but it's in bad shape. And rather than just letting it be whatever it is, like our state fuel tax, where we can have a predictable number even though it's flat in the future, uh, they keep delaying trying to put that artificial dollar in there. And so, uh, anyway, I educated the congressman as best I could. Then I had an opportunity, uh, Senator Cruz let me spend 20, 30 minutes with him during session, as well as uh, Senator Cornyn. And I think they understand because we took the time to explain it to them. But Texas is just one of many states. And so rather than doing the right thing, they just kicked the can down to December. Therefore, TxDOT does not know how much money they'll have next year from the federal government. And the same arguments, the same comments that were made here about Texas. When Vice Chancellor Williams <coughs> talked about looking at health and human services, a third of TxDOT's budget, you heard, a third of it comes from the feds. The gas tax here in Texas, in all states, that they collect is 18.4 cents. It hasn't increased since 1993. So I didn't say I'm proposing they raise the gas tax. It's something that we all need to go back up, and our congressional delegation needs to understand that they haven't done anything as far as the issue. Everything that was talked about here, all the same issues need to be taken up to the federal level because if that amount was increased by 10% of the third, that's billions of dollars. Back home when I'm trying to explain this in my district, I try to use the numbers in a simple mode. Uh, think in terms of the state fuel tax, 20 cents. That's a simple round number. If you adjusted it for just the cost of inflation for construction materials, which is 150% since 1991, that 20 cents would be 50 cents just to adjust for inflation. But we've also increased fuel efficiency it hasn't quite doubled, but it's almost doubled. And so that 50 cents, just adjust for efficiency, is closer to 90 cents. Mm -hmm. So it's not a 10 cent a gallon issue. It is a large issue. Uh, the legislature can't grasp that. So I, my attention is focused in other areas where I think we can get support, looking for a different revenue source. Um, anyway, that, that's a large number. Full disclosure and transparency, of the 20 cents a gallon, we only send the general 15 cents. Because <laughs> yeah. five cents is set aside for public education. 
Nobody thinks that that's bad, but they need to realize that the 20 cents that they're being charged at the gas pump doesn't all go to public or, or to transportation. And on the federal side of the 18.4 cents, something that doesn't get talked about enough on our level, because people say, well, why don't you do more transit projects? And TxDOT's doing some more of that. But the transit comes out of that 18.4 cents. It goes directly to metropolitan areas like Austin and El Paso, where I come from, and Houston. So there are billions and billions of dollars that flow back in transit as well. But I think it's important that the public knows that, yes, they're paying 20 cents a gallon, but 15 of that 20 cents goes to highways. Okay, great. And so now, since if you're, you've been here at 8.30 on a Saturday morning to hear about road funding, so I'm sure there are some experts in the audience who have some great questions, and now is your chance to ask them if you want to come to these, these mics. Um, Good morning. Good morning. Uh, good morning, panel. Thank you all for being here early this morning. Uh, my question is, I know recently uh, TxDOT employed a strategy of putting more, getting more involvement on local government, especially with roadway maintenance whatnot. And I wanted to know, what is the state of that strategy of bringing kind of the counties, cities, and regional governance more involved into maintaining uh, state system roads or even local roads? As well as going, the, going into the future, as we kind of keep talking about the, the shortfall, what is that role for counties and cities and regional governments? Should they expect kind of a larger role in taking on some of this cost-share burden? You know, uh, I, I can address that. One of the things I see in, in Texas is, is uh, this great distinction between state and then county and city. And, and in transportation, I think there's got to be a way to kind of get rid of that line a little bit and partner a little bit together. Now, the legislature gets that. They recently, $225 million in the energy sector went to these counties to help them with their roads. But TxDOT, we need to figure out how to develop a better relationship with them and I think partnering on a lot of these things because it's not just our state roads and our farmer markets being tore up by the energy sector. It's county roads and it's, it's city roads too. Now, I know there was a program uh, before I got here, but it basically was a, a voluntary take back of uh, some of uh, our roads to the cities and the counties. Uh, I'm not sure that was marketed all that well, but uh, it was a voluntary program. <laughs> and uh, so that's where we are on that. But we I, have I believe, not. But. I, 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 I think that we have to understand reality. There, as, the, as metroplex areas grow, and I live in one, okay, and I live very close to. Uh, what uh, you know? What which, what is a state road, in theory? But it's really a city street now, and I do believe we have to have a long-term plan that if the city and the citizens of that city want that road better and expanded, that the the government that's closest to them should make the decision and figure out the funding. Yeah, they could probably partner with the state on some of that, but we, that shouldn't be, in a broad sense, the state's responsibility. It should be the government closest to the people and let those people decide how, much, how they want to take care of that. And that's not always popular sometimes with your county or city people, but that is just a fact. It, in, in it became opinion. voluntary the day after they proposed the project. <laughs> <laughs> and also, to answer your, your question directly, we have put pressure on the local governments. When I say we, by the legislature 
um, not looking at solutions six and eight years ago and borrowing money instead, my community decided that we would step up to the plate and use some tools that were passed in the legislature. So we're putting more local dollars in than we've done in the past. And some communities have just said, I can't wait for the legislature to act. I can't wait for the feds to act. We've got projects that we need to do, so we're creating transportation reinvestment zones, or we're going to use some of our federal transit money for certain things. So we did. We, we, we put a little bit more pressure on the locals. And, and some to counties have added a fee, an extra fee. On There's the five counties out of the 254 that have passed local increases on their road and bridge fees that are being leveraged by TxDOT, and so that was a decision that was made locally, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Antonia. Um, I'm a native of Carrollton, Texas, Denton County. Oh. Oh. <laughs> um, they follow me everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to see you're represented here. Um, I just have a question um, about toll roads. Um, um, I'm sure you guys <laughs> get um, a lot of different opinions on it. Um, I just wanted to know what you think the future is going to be. Um, we see 635, um, 121, and they're expanding, and um, they're using, you know, this new text express. And um, I personally, um, I know it's a necessary evil, but I just wanted to know what you guys think will be the future of it if we're just using it as a, you know, a temporary Band-Aid, or is it something until we can get more funding um, we're going to just have to cope with? I think I think there's going to be a lot more tow roads in the future. Uh, one of the things that the public doesn't normally think about is roads and bridges don't last forever. They have to be maintained and preserved and overhauled. And I use a rough figure. If it costs you $100 million to build it, you better have a revenue stream of $300 million over the next 40 years to preserve that system. We have built a huge system, and we as a legislature have not stepped up to the plate to put those revenues there, whereas toll roads automatically do it. Uh, you can build, there's no such thing as a free road, it's a tax road or a tow road. If we're not going to raise the taxes to build a road, but we're willing to take tra travelers off the existing road and put them on a tow road, that's a, that's a service fee. And it's something a passenger makes a choice to do. And so it also pays for itself or is highly leveraged. A lot of them today require other money in there besides what the tolls generate. But the tolls in the future do pay for that long-term preservation, which is a much greater cost. So I see a lot more tow roads in the future, but I also recognize that everything cannot be built as a tow road. So it's going to take both. And it's going to take mass transit as well. And, I, and I'd like to jump in because I've been quoted for the last 20 years as being for toll roads. I've been quoted as being against toll roads for the last 20 years. And both of those are accurate. <laughs> um, it depends. A few years ago, TxDOT was really pushing very, very hard to create regional mobility authorities. And we were told, my community was told, you can't get any more money unless you have a toll in your plan. So we did. I was able to get enough support in our local planning organization to pick the project versus the one that was going to be forced on to us. And by the way, the one that was going to be forced on to us was what I mentioned earlier, that Spur 601 in Fort Bliss. We wouldn't have gotten Fort Bliss to expand had we told it. But we have a hybrid. In my community, we have our first toll ever, road toll. We have bridges going into Mexico. And 
what I negotiated in that was a buyback provision. It's probably one of the only ones that there is in the state. I'm going to give it a little more time, but not much. And I believe that that is not a viable toll road project. I think it should be converted back to a free road. We have a project in El Paso just came online that's a toll project. That one probably is going to need to exist as a toll. So it still is project by project. And to give TxDOT some credit now, I don't see the same heavy-handed tactics in making tolls the number one priority in your local plan. But I do agree with Senator Nichols. They're going to be around, and there's going to be more of them. Now, for Alicia, I would say that these gentlemen don't know this because it's not their area, but House District 65 uh, is completely surrounded by toll roads. And so I know that's where you're coming from. And I think we've Absolutely. done our part mm -hmm. in House District 65 for toll roads. We, and, and that has increased our uh, mobility. But, uh, you know, our north side is 121, which is tolled. Our south side is George Bush, which is tolled. Our uh, east side is the North Dallas Tollway. And now I-35 is going to have some managed lanes, which I'm okay with that. So uh, I think they're right. It's going to end up inevitably happen. But uh, I don't think we need to do it anymore. But a, a big picture that uh, Representative Simmons mentioned earlier about Texas. It's not just Carrollton, it's not just El Paso. Mm -hmm. right. One of the mistakes I think we made in Texas when we went so far with the, the tolls, <clears throat> you know and I know that the majority of the people in House District 65 are going to be using those toll roads, but so are other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that we missed an opportunity for all the toll authorities in Texas to have to pay a percent off the top that goes into a statewide road maintenance fee. Other states operate all of them. We have created these fiefdoms, and there's people here in this audience that represent different toll authorities, Hector, NTTA, and they've got their money, and they don't want anybody else to have it. But I need to go up there once in a while. I live in a community where a large percent of our uh, driving public comes from Mexico and New Mexico, and they don't pay the same amount to use our road. So it would be hard to go back and change that, because they've heard me say that before, and they're already gearing up to kill any bill that I might propose. <laughs> take a percentage off the top. But I'm going to go back to, again, we spend more money maintaining what we have than what we ever build, and that still needs to where, where the focus needs to be. Chairman, I need to jump in because you're going to like this, but I want to go on record publicly as executive director of TxDOT. TxDOT does not force toll roads on anybody. Anymore. Anybody. <laughs> Start. And that, that's the word. Uh, we work very closely with our partners, the RMAs, the MPOs, the county judges, the mayors. And tolling is a tool. It's just a, a tool. And, and I ask myself, what if, if, if state legislature 20 years ago had passed a law saying toll roads are not allowed anywhere in the state of Texas? Where would we be right now? What would we have? So... I, I don't, I wish we didn't have to use toll roads, but it is a financial tool right now until we can find a more permanent, uh, predictable, reliable source of funding. And it's been very effective in doing some great things in some of our communities. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you great question. question. Thank you. Yes, sir. Senator Nichols, uh, you spoke about the $1.1 in various clean air counts. I assume that was TERP and LIRAP and maybe one other. Are you proposing to appropriate those funds to their intended purposes or appropriate them to other purposes and eventually eliminate the Turpin Lyra? I think they should be appropriated for their intended purpose. 
to clean the air up in our non-attainment areas. I think I've now visited with at least two of the MPO uh, directors about how can we do that. Uh, can we, and, and procedurally, if we can expand the uses and give them a little more flexibility and modify the process a little bit, and we're going to start working on that right now, actually, um, then the whole purpose of that was to clean the air up in those areas. And that if we're not appropriating it for that, then we're not doing the right thing. And so we either need to eliminate those taxes and fees and give that money back, or we need to use it for its intended purpose. And that's you, my goal. Do you think that we'll see an elimination of those taxes and fees in this session, or is that just a nice goal to have? I, I don't know about that. That's a, an issue the legislature will have to deal with. What I don't like seeing is money that was charged with the intended purpose of one thing not doing that purpose, and even worse, just sitting there. And if we stopped collecting those fees, hypothetically, how would we address the clean air issues? Well, we still have the non-attainment areas. I was in Houston for two days yesterday, and I have watched this since I was you know, a, a child because I grew up in early. Uh, the air was horrible. Uh, uh, I worked at a company that every once in a while would write you a check when they would discharge acid into the air, and it would melt the paint on your car. So if you were in a parking lot, they'd write you a check. Hmm. We've made great strides in cleaning that air up. And I'm not joking about that. It was true. The, but in the, the target level has continued to be tightened up. And these areas are very much on their mind to get that air clean. And they're doing a lot of different kind of things uh, to do that. But uh, they are restricted on how they can use it. And if there's some things we can do to give them more flexibility, then I think we should the money in the account, and then we will review those fees of whether or not they should continue. Since you mentioned LIRAP, though, I, don't, I know a lot of people don't know what that means. LIRAP is Low Income <coughs> Repair Automobile Program. That, though, is a local fee collected mm -hmm. by act of a uh, commissioner's court that goes to the state of Texas, and we're not giving their money mm -hmm. back. So to answer your question, could that fee go away? Collin County is in the throes of doing that right now. And I think other counties are looking at, we, the county commissioner's court, pass this to be charged additionally on the inspection of vehicles in our county. We send it to the state of Texas, and then they don't get the money back. And it was stated the other day, for instance, in Houston, Harris County, $10 million came from Harris County and they got $2 million back. Mm -hmm. So Harris County needs to decide whether they want to continue that fee and trust the state of Texas on uh, what we're doing with that $8, billion or $8 million balance. And there have been a few counties that have gotten more than their share back, which that's another issue. Would it be possible for the counties just to keep the fee themselves as opposed to have to send it to Not under the current, not the current legislation, though. No. Seems like that might be an interesting idea to think about. All right, and we have one last question over here. John Hubbard with Premier Legislative Consulting. I was wondering if um, you could uh, discuss uh, the possibility of a paradigm shift with contracting at TxDOT from a design-build approach to more of an asset management approach. To more of a what? Asset management approach. <laughs> the executive director here. 
Well, I mean, as far as taking in development and considering that and working with developers or, or well, I mean, um, would it? Really more. Uh, I'm not a financial guy, so I'm yeah, not and, sure. And, what and this is really more a, a, an approach uh, to contracting rather than just a, a design build contracting approach where the asset is handed over to TechStop for maintenance and that sort of thing. Actually, having a, a contract where a, a private sector provider would build, uh, maintain, uh, upgrade. Okay, now I know what you, and, now and, know what you mean. Let me, let me give a shot. Yeah. I've kind of lived through all that. <laughs> Uh, at one time, we were strictly design it, bid it, build it. And in the past 12 or 15 years, uh, we've gone through and experimented with just about everything there is out there and that you're describing. Uh, to, we asked the legislature to give TechStop the authority to not only somebody build it, but maintain it for an extended period of time. That's your asset management. We also asked for authority to do a design build with the option of long-term maintenance. We had, TxDOT has that authority. We took another step and asked the legislature, and the legislature approved, well, why not just totally do a franchise model where a private company operates the road, builds it, maintains and operates it for 50 years? We call that the total equity type contract. We've done that as well. And so we have experimented with all of these. And we worked with other states, their models, and other countries with their models. And uh, so there's, it is being tried out there. And to, to what level of success we've had it with it, uh, people would agree or they still argue about how good of a success we've had with it. But these are, these are innovative ways, and it includes putting financial packages together. And, and we want to keep looking for new and innovative ways to do this certainly to reduce the cost of the project, but what we're finding a lot of with some of these new things we're trying is reducing the time it takes to get the project done. So we continue to look at those. And with that, I'm sorry to cut in um, and cut that off. I think this could be a good discussion, but I think this might be a discussion that will be had um, at more length in the next panel, which is planning for the future. Um, so I thank you all so much for being here. Thank you to our panelists for being here, for your attention to this issue. Um, looking forward to the next session. Thank you. 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 Th